if you haven't cleansed your portfolio of cyclical exposure and risk, um, it's certainly, it's not too late. The recession is staring us in the face. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder, Adam Taggart. I'm very excited for this interview for two reasons. First, it's with economist David Rosenberg, one of Wall Street's most awarded analysts over the past 30 years. Given the darkening storm clouds of slowing economic growth, rising interest rates, inflated asset prices, and increasing market volatility, I can't think of a better person to interview for the conditions we presently face now. And I can't think of a better person to interview David than Macro Mavens' Stephanie Pomboy. She's known David well for years and kindly both arranged this interview and accepted my invitation to be its guest host. Get out your notebooks, folks. This is a fantastic discussion packed with actionable investing insights between two of the sharpest macroeconomic minds today. So thank you so much, Dave, for joining me today. I um... Uh, Adam at Wealthion asked me if I would have any interest in being guest host for a day. And when he did, I thought, who would I want to interview? It took about a millisecond to answer that question. I had so much fun chatting with you on your webinar series that you do and uh, was very honored to have been invited to do that. But I felt like you and I could have just continued the conversation uh, for weeks and weeks. So, so here we are. Thank you so much for doing this. And thank you, Adam, for, for giving us the forum to regroup. Um, so, uh, let me just say when you and I chatted, I think it was almost two months to the day at this point. Um, you know, you and I were both sort of on the, the case that the economy was going to slow a lot sharper than, than anyone was anticipating. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the inflation pressures probably wouldn't prove as uh, durable as a lot of people seem to be concerned about. And obviously, you know, two things have changed since you and I met last. Um, one is the yield curve actually went inverted for a while anyway, and sort of, you know, rubber stamped the idea that we might have a recession. And the other thing is obviously the Ukraine, um, which I guess to the extent people were worried about inflation before has only amplified their concerns. and. So I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts. I'm just throwing that out there as the, you know, the things that changed and get your thoughts on um, whether and to what degree those two uh, events have changed your thinking at all. Well, well, first I want to say thanks for inviting me on, uh, Stephanie. And uh, I do want to say that you were a tremendous hit uh, on uh, the webcast oh. that we did. It, the, the feedback was overwhelmingly positive, but um Maybe I'm the only one that's not surprised, but uh, you were wonderful. Oh, uh, and uh, right. So look, two months, I guess, is a lifetime in this business, right? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, just ask Jay, ask Jay Powell about uh, about that. So I'm not so sure that I've done a, a Rosenberg pivot, um, but we, have to, <laughs> we do have to take a look at the fact that um, a, as to how. Um, you know, the the Russian invasion of the Ukraine is obviously uh, a game changer and it could be a long term game changer, you know, uh, whether or not, you know, Putin is uh, going to stick around, uh, you know, you go back to uh, you almost want to compare it to what happened with Germany after World War One, 
and it became a pariah uh, for an extended period of time. Uh, the difference, of course, is that Russia, uh, and you could say Russia, Ukraine, are just so deep and rich uh, in raw material and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, not just in, uh, in, in energy uh, and food, uh, wheat in particular, but also uh, things like neon gas that uh, we just find out is so critical to semiconductors at a time that uh, that was the poster child for the uh, global bottleneck pressures that we've had over the course of the past 12 to 18 months. So uh, this is a complicated situation because, uh, and as Lel Brainerd correctly said, this poses downside risk to growth. Um, but at the same time, it is from a, a cost push or supply side um, uh, perspective, uh, it is it is inflationary, and this is what has the Fed concerned. I imagine that if this was happening with the unemployment rate at six, seven, eight percent, uh, they'd be more relaxed. But mm -hmm. when the unemployment rate is three point six, their big concern is that it's going to, you know, potentially push into inflation expectations, and not just in the marketplace, but uh, as far as wage setting is concerned. Uh, and so I would say that uh, you know we we when we had our our webcast uh, a couple of months ago, uh, you know, Putin was already talking about uh, uh, potentially invading. I don't know if anybody really took him at his word. I know that I didn't. Mm -hmm. um, but this is a uh, this is a, a game changer from, and, and the law of unintended consequences. And then on top of that, the um, I don't think something else that we didn't factor in, Stephanie, was uh, that we would have a, a COVID breakout in China. China China's got an 85% vaccination rate mm -hmm. uh, and their COVID numbers are, are worse now than they were when it first broke out two years ago. And, and again, why is that important? Is because, you know, you get a few cases of the uh, coronavirus in China and next thing you know, a, a major port city, well now Shanghai, mm -hmm. with millions of people um, that are key to the uh, global manufacturing hub, you know, gets shut down. Mm -hmm. And that complicates the global supply chain and the cost push inflation problem that much more. Um, I, my, yeah. So in answer to the question, you know, my, my views have evolved. Like I see what's happening out there. The Fed's turning a lot more aggressive. Mm -hmm. uh, the inflation is obviously uh, more pernicious for these reasons. Um, but the Fed has laid down its cards. You know, it's interesting because not that it's directly comparable, but, you know, when we had... Um, Operation Desert Storm back in 1991, and oil prices doubled uh, in a big hurry, and inflation, um, you know, broke above six percent, uh, which was a big deal back then too. Um, you know, Greenspan actually ended up cutting interest rates. Uh, he wasn't tightening monetary policy, uh, and so his big concern was more the downside growth aspect than the pernicious inflation aspect. And for a period of time, let's face it, uh, although he was the master of bubbles. He did get that call right. Right now, you know, there's there's no, you know, what, what surprised me is that there, there are no more doves left on the Fed. Uh, all the doves have turned into hawks. Uh, and I guess, you know, the hawks uh, have turned into eagles. Uh, there's just, uh, you know, so anyway, they're, um, they're clearly going to uh, uh, more aggressively raise interest rates and tighten monetary policy. Uh, and you could hear from their cadence that they're, you know, they're they're hoping that we'll get a soft landing. But uh, I think that we should all be prepared uh, that the only way that you can break the back of this sort of inflation is through a recession. So um, the inflation is a change in my view in the sense that it's going to be with us longer. I still think that it's it is not permanent, but clearly it's not uh, going to be as transitory as I thought. 
uh, my, my belief all along was that when we last spoke was that we were very late cycle. Uh, the Fed at that point was clearly signaling its intention to raise interest rates into a historically flat yield curve. Uh, and to me, that's playing with fire. So if anything, the recession risks uh, are much more elevated than they were two months ago at the same time. So, I mean, the cure for inflation would seem to be weakness in demand. Um, and I know you and I have both, I, I believe, you know, the, the crooks of, of our respective views for why the economy was going to slow this year was that um, it, the recovery was entirely a function of all the stimulus that we got and everyone was focused on what was happening with supply and supply chain issues to the exclusion of what was happening with demand and the likelihood that that demand that had been supported by stimulus would actually evaporate without it. Um, and so I guess, um, you know, to the extent that now the Fed is talking about um, potentially reducing its balance sheet to the tune of 95 billion a month, which would, you know, suck out over a trillion dollars a year. They'd go from expanding, you know, adding a trillion in liquidity to taking a trillion away. At the same time, the deficit obviously is due to shrink more than a trillion dollars. You know, we're looking at sort of a, a shortfall of stimulus of roughly $2 trillion. Um, you know, does that accelerate the slow down in inflation, do you think? Or is it the problem that the commodity prices are just, it's a different type of inflation that's just more virulent and harder to reverse? Well, you know, there, um, I think that uh, through the tightening in policy, uh, and especially because uh, I do believe that the odds of recession, uh, which is demand destruction, mm -hmm is definitely going to have an impact on inflation and especially the parts of inflation uh, that are cyclical uh, that aren't as affected by these exogenous shocks uh, from the lingering impacts of the pandemic, the ongoing Chinese shutdowns or lockdowns, and of course, uh, the war effect, what's happening uh, with Russia and Ukraine. But, um, you know, when you can trace through uh, that this is going to have a big impact, for example, on the rental market. This will have a big impact on, on housing. Uh, house prices, um, look, we're having the rental inflation, uh, which is, of course, lagging the massive bubble that was created in the housing market. Well, that bubble is going to unwind. With a lag, that's going to have an impact on rents. Uh, and, as, uh, and, and we already have a situation where, you know, the, the, you look at the... Uh, multifamily permits and housing starts, units under, units under construction in the multifamily sector, the highest level now since 1974. So we're going to have a, a, a deluge of supply uh, in the second half of the year. The vacancy rate, by the way, is already starting to hook up. Uh, the rental rate inflation is positive, but it's starting to cool off. Um, and that has nothing to do with what we were talking about. The rental inflation has nothing to do with what's happening in Russia and what's happening with China. That's domestic. And that is 30% uh, of the CPI, 40% of the core. Uh, that is going to um, uh, recede, I think, precipitously. Uh, and I think we can expect that as early as the second half of the year. So that's going to play a big role. Mm -hmm. And of course, the Fed's rate hikes are going to have a big impact on credit-sensitive sectors. Uh, so you're going to find, notwithstanding uh, the supply bottlenecks, uh, the demand is going to play a very big part in rolling the inflation over. Uh, I always like to point out that this is what recessions do. Um, you know, we, we had oil uh, 
flirting with $145 a barrel in the summer of 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can see what the recession did uh, because a year later, inflation is running at minus two. There's nobody that was calling for minus 2% inflation by right. the summer of 2009 in the summer of 08. In fact, the summer of 08, and this is before Lehman collapsed and AIG and Merrill and the rest of it, uh, the ECB raised rates and Bernanke shifted to a de facto uh, tightening bias. Hard to believe uh, when you we know what history has already told us. And we don't know what history is going to tell us, but we'll know in a year. I still am of the view that, um, you know, I'm just a, too much of a, a, of a ardent disciple of Bob Farrell uh, and rule number three, that there uh, are no new eras uh, and excesses are never permanent. And so uh, I'm still in that camp when it comes to the inflation. I know that everybody seems to think that we're in some sort of the 1970s uh, inflation situation. I don't believe that for a second. I think that when you go back a year ago, the inflation rate was 1.7%. You know, today it's 7.9. Everybody knows that number. Uh, We've never seen, you got to go back to 1951 to find the last time we had a 620 basis point increase in the inflation rate. Mm -hmm. But this time last year was 1.7. And what happened was, you know, of course we had the big fiscal stimulus. As you correctly said, that's in the rear view mirror. That's turning towards... Uh, fiscal tightening. Uh, and then, of course, we had the Delta wave, and uh, now we have the war impact. We just hit with these massive exogenous shocks that have created this, this major inflation disturbance. You can argue, well, it's happening at a time of a 3.6 on the unemployment rate, so we're going to get a wage price spiral. But you see, I think the Fed, uh, the Fed's not accommodating this price shock. This is mm-hmm. not the same Fed. Uh, so because they're going to tighten policy and they're going to tighten policy aggressively. So as you said, from the FOMC minutes, what does $95 billion a month of rundown on the balance sheet mean alongside the dot plots? Well, the Fed's telling you that they're going to be tightening policy this year in aggregate when you look at the balance sheet and the actual funds rate by 350 basis points. Uh, You go to 2018, which was no walk through the park. Uh, That was 200 basis points of net tightening balance sheet in the funds rate. This is bigger than what they did in 1994. And, uh, you know, anybody who was, uh, you know, long uh, Orange County debt or or was long the Mexican peso uh, or mortgage-backed securities, uh, they know that was, or even the equity market and the financials. It was a pretty rough year. Uh, So, yeah, in answer to your question, this is a, uh, you know, fiscal policy, this time last year, the Biden budget buster is adding five percentage points to headline GDP growth. By the end of this year, it's going to be a 2.8 percentage point withdrawal. And then you count in what the Fed is doing. And I've got data back to 1960, Stephanie, you know, you know, exogenous price shocks, full employment or not. I don't remember. There's not been a time historically uh, in the past, um, you know, call it 60 years where we had a year where monetary and fiscal policy stimulus withdrawal was this acute. So I think by the end of this year, it'll be evident that we're in a recession. Uh, I think that in recessions, even in the recessions of the 1970s, and there were three of them, inflation came down. Uh, then inflation came up during the expansion. And I think that we'll only know about the, if the secular downtrend in inflation has really uh, been broken in the next expansion. Uh, but I would say that uh, once we get past these shocks, we have to get past these shocks really uh, to make the assertion uh, that inflation is here to stay. You know, you go back to um, the last time we had a dual shock like this. I mean, there's a sample size of one. It was uh, World War One fo- followed by the Spanish flu. Uh, you know, it was a war followed by a, um, a global health crisis. This time around, it was a global health crisis followed by a war. Yeah. But, you know, we had uh, we had four years from, you know, 1917 to 1920 
when inflation averaged 15% per year, never mind 7.9. And what do you know, once the shock subsided, uh, inflation actually averaged minus 2% per year, either Mm -hmm. had price stability or pure deflation for the next 10 years. I don't think in 1918, 1919, when inflation was 15%, you could have sold that story. Um, But that's what history has to offer uh, when you have these shocks around a trend line. Uh, The Fed is uh, not monkeying around anymore. They're, They're very serious and the risk of recession to me, are, is a much bigger risk than the risk of any persistent inflation. The Fed, the Fed knows how to kill inflation. We know that, and we have, we have Jay Powell who, in front of last month, you know, in front of uh, Congress at his Humphrey Hawkins testimony, what we used to call Humphrey Hawkins, the semi-annual congressional testimony, says to Senator Shelby, uh, you know, that Paul Volcker was the greatest public servant of all time. So he's not comparing himself to, you know, to William Miller or to Arthur Burns or even Alan Greenspan. Mm-hmm. He is the, he's the new, he's, he's the new um, uh, Paul Volcker. Well, Paul Volcker, the Fed, the Fed, if the Fed has the political capital to create a recession, and although Donald Reagan, Don Reagan wanted to fire Volcker, but Ronald Reagan supported him. Uh, and, uh, and remember those two recessions, 1980 and then 81, 82 fell really under uh, Ronald Reagan's watch mm-hmm. uh, that uh, right now, I, you know, that you have to go back to that period the last time that you had a president support, uh, you know, rate hiking uh, to this extent, because the White House has given uh, the Fed the green light to go ahead with this policy. Uh, and so if you're taking a look at the history of recessions, even the ones we had in the 1970s, the so-called stagflation period, I got news for you. The economy was in recession 20% of the time in the 1970s. People don't, people think the 1970s was a scourge. We were like, we were all like, you know, the economy was like a a leper, but actually we were expanding 80% of the time. Mm -hmm. When we're expanding 80% of the time, by the way, uh, we were expanding at more than a 5% annual rate because the demographics were so powerful. Well, that's, Uh, but, but in the recessions, I got news for people in recessions, in recessions, inflation always falls, whether you're in a stagflation or not, inflation falls. So I think we're going to have a recession and inflation is going to fall precipitously, uh, timing it next to impossible, if not impossible. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to ask me the next year, I think that the decline in inflation will be rather dramatic. Well, I think the interesting thing, and you alluded that there's so much to unpack about what you just laid out there, um, is drawing the distinction between cyclical inflation and secular inflation. And I, what worries me about the current environment and the Fed's posturing is that they're conflating what is a cyclical upturn in inflation with a secular shift. Um, and I guess, you know, the, the two differences between now, I don't need to tell you, in the 70s, are the debt and, and the demographics that you just alluded to. Um, And this is where, you know, I guess my concern about this tough talk of the Fed and and Powell channeling his inner Volcker um, raises so many risks for the markets because they seem to imagine that they can take rates up and that it won't have a massively destabilizing impact on the financial markets if they think that they can just manage the deflation of, you know, take a little froth out of the markets and slow the economy and maybe engineer a soft landing. I don't know about you, but I think that they are an absolute fantasy land. Um, Cause you know, I'm looking at two and a half on the 10 year thinking this might be the point where bodies start floating to the surface. Um, wh- what are your thoughts on what's the threshold 
of interest rate pain that this economy can bear? And what's the willingness of the Fed to actually push to that level, much less beyond? Well, look, I mean, uh, if you look at the Fed's, um, you know, neutral funds rate, the nominal, uh, you know, some some of the dot plots are as low as two, some are as high as three. I think that the uh, median is two and three eighths. We've done all sorts of work on, on that. And uh, we, we came to the view that um, we, once we get past, I mean, we're not even, a, look, we're just basically, they've, they've raised rates once by 25 basis points. And uh, you can talk about, well, look, look at the rally. You know, I love when people talk about the rally off the lows in the stock market. The ten, it was an 11% rally off the lows. <laughs> One of the, we, we, we had a, in, in the context of the great financial crisis, we had multiple 20% rallies off the lows. We had, this was actually one of the weakest bear market rallies of all time. Uh, and it's over, by the way. Mm. Um, so uh, I, I would say that, uh, the, he, look, what the, look what the stock market, and look what the various components of the market has done. Like if you yeah. don't have energy materials and look at what, what does it mean when we're looking at the stock market, Stephanie, when utilities are at an all-time high, mm. consumer staples are within a percent of an all-time high, staples and utilities. So I'm not even talking about energy. It's so bizarre. You've had this blow up in bond yields and utility stocks are at a um, are at an all time high. Does that make sense? Or what? What, what is? You know, what, it, I mean, what, what? What? Utilities? What you want to own in a recession? Consumer staples are within a percent. They're they're smoking consumer discretionary. You look at the transports, but what's really interesting to me because we're talking about the stock market here. Look at the financials. Yeah. Uh, now the financials aren't quite down 10%, but that's only because the insurance companies, which is, they thrive on rising rates, uh, very defensive. They're not nearly as cyclical as the wealth managers uh, or the consumer finance stocks or the banks. And the banks are down almost 20%. Mm -hmm. The asset management stocks, we're talking about, I mean, I'm talking to people are talking about the bear market rally. Uh, you know, that they're talking about that the bear market or the correction is over. And I'm looking, I'm saying, I've shown those charts of, the asset managers are telling you the exact opposite because the market doesn't bottom until they bottom. They're almost in a bear market right now. There are parts of the stock market telling you uh, a story of pain and, uh, uh, and, 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 and an actual bear market, a stealth bear market beneath the surface. So uh, it's actually very consistent with what the shape of the yield curve is telling you. So what we know about the Fed is this. The Fed, um, financial conditions are important for the Fed because... Uh, you know, it's like in the old, it's like in the Old Testament with Moses uh, and the rod uh, with Pharaoh. I guess with Passover around the corner, maybe that's apropos. But the, the rod <laughs> to Moses is what financial conditions are to Jay Powell, mm -hmm. and so the financial conditions are the conduit uh, to get to the real economy. Uh, and so that's why it's 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 next to impossible for the stock market to rally. Um, because the Fed needs the stock market to go down. The Fed needs credit spreads to widen. Uh, the Fed needs to have the dollar strengthen, which of course is a big detriment uh, to the you know 50% of the S&P that derives their earnings from abroad because of the currency impact. So all this stuff, stronger dollar. You know what's interesting to me is how high yield spreads, credit spreads in general, have been so well well behaved. And look, that is an anomaly. They, that has to play part on the financial conditions tightening. But you see, the mantra is that there's so much cash on on corporate balance sheets that that even in a recession uh the corporate sector is going to not undergo a default cycle to which i say 
read me another fairy tale. Right. Um, this, 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 uh, so what's interesting is that the market that's got this, the tightening cycle priced in is the treasury market. Mm -hmm. Treasury market is priced for a full-fledged tightening cycle. It's already in the price. That's why I'm not bearish on treasuries. It's already there. Uh, the stock market's just catching up uh, to that. The credit market is really lagging behind. Uh, but all this stuff will come out in the wash because we know that the Fed is looking at what? The Fed is looking at, and this is what's changed, Stephanie, from the last time we did our webcast, is, um, is the shape in the direction of the, call it the global aggregate supply curve. It's more inelastic and it's shifted further to the left. So if the supply curve is shifting further to the left, uh, that is less output, but more inflation. Well, the Fed is going to compound the lower output, uh, but get the inflation it wants uh, through demand destruction. So it has, it has to move. So here's what's changed is the Fed is telling us we actually have to engage in policy that is going to shift the aggregate demand curve as I'm playing the role of economics 101 professor, <laughs> pretend that there's a, a, a whiteboard and I've got some a marker, but they're shifting the demand curve to the left. And they're going to shift the demand curve to the left by raising interest rates and shrinking the balance sheet. Uh, and looks like fairly aggressively. Not many times in the past has the Fed de facto tightened 350 basis points. That's huge. And by the way, Stephanie, as you'd mentioned, in conjunction with the fiscal stimulus withdrawal, this is going to be epic. The hit to aggregate demand. And this hasn't even happened yet. This is what's right. going to happen. Right. And the inflation, the inflation is going to come down because the one thing we know, don't, you know, don't fight the Fed in both directions. Don't fight the Fed. The Fed right. wants to get inflation down. Do you really think they're not going to get it down? Right. And you could say in the 1970s, well, it didn't come down enough, but maybe the Fed didn't try hard enough. But certainly by the early 1980s, they tried pretty damn hard. Mm -hmm. uh, the guy is comparing himself, the guy being J-Pell, is comparing himself to Paul Volcker. So you can have your view all along, like people have, oh, well, the era of globalization is over. You want to run with that view, go ahead. Uh, I think there was a partial reversal, but uh, I don't think globalization is dead. I think that's way overblown. And of course, the whole thing about uh, onshoring and just-in-time inventories, and of course, all this will play out, you know, over many, many decades. Uh, we're talking about getting by this inflationary shock. By the way, these inflationary shocks, I think will subside on their own. The Fed is basically saying, we're not taking any more chances. This is not transitory based on whatever definition we had. We are going to crush demand. But you understand how important this is because when you're trying to reverse inflation with an inelastic supply curve that shifted much further to the left than you thought, you really have to embark on a policy that is going to uh, contract demand fairly significantly. And that's why you want to identify what is priced for recession and what isn't. Uh, and so the treasury market uh, is not priced for recession yet. They're just priced for the Fed tightening cycle. But when the treasury market reprices for the recession, the, the rally at the long end <laughs> is going to be dramatic. Now, admittedly, admittedly, maybe even from a higher level on yields we have today. Uh, but if you're willing to put your big picture hat on and be patient, um, and if you acknowledge that the recession is the next part of this story, and the recession has to happen if we're going to combat the inflation. The Fed's already thrown up, they've thrown in the towel. They're, they'll crush inflation. The Fed has the tools to crush inflation, not on the supply side, that much is true. On the demand side, they have the tools. Uh, and there's never been a recession that didn't have a rally at the long end of the curve, not one. Not, not one recession did bonds fail to make you money 
in terms of positive total return. And that even includes the stagflation recessions of the 1970s. I think the um, the really appealing opportunity, uh, and you alluded to it in terms of the areas that have yet to price in the recession, is the widening of credit spreads. And the, and the thing that I keep coming back to, and it, it kind of dovetails with the whole inflation question, is corporate profits. And no one really, there's no discussion about corporate profits or the prospect of a corporate profits recession, which seems to me to be not just high, like basically now a foregone conclusion because we've had the PPI, you know, input costs running ahead of the CPI at the fastest pace since the 70s, um, you know, even worse than uh, it did during the profits recessions of 2008 and 2000, et cetera. Um, and, you know, to the extent that corporate profits slow dramatically or go into recession, credit spread should blow out. But it also gets into the inflation question from the labor side. Because if you have that profit slow down, much less recession, the demand for labor, I would assume, is going to cool dramatically. Um, you know, they may take the opportunity to fill a couple of slots that they desperately need to be filled. But I think that the, uh, the demand for labor several months from now is going to be so much weaker than anyone currently expects. I mean, do you do you share that view or, or do you think I'm, that's a pipe dream that, that the labor pressures are going to ease? Well, look, the, the labor pressures will ease and it's a double-edged sword because uh, that will ease the cost pressures from the labor market in terms of margins, but at the same time, uh, it's going to cause a further reduction in demand. Uh, mm-hmm. as uh, employment growth slows. The, um, uh, I think you're 100% right. The, the, um, the profits have held in, principally because uh, everything, we look at profits all on a year-over-year basis. Uh, and of course, uh, we're still in this period looking at earnings from the first quarter and everything that was included since last year's first quarter had that tremendous fiscal stimulus. So a lot of the demand uh, with a lag is still in all the year-over-year numbers that we're looking at. And those year-over-year numbers, uh, especially including the massive fiscal stimulus, uh, remember, which was passed last March, is going to fall out of the data. So 100%, uh, you know, we're already down, I think, the consensus. Uh, haven't really touched their numbers a lot, but I think for the first quarter, we're down to 5 or 6%. I mean, we're down to already low single digits. Mm-hmm. Question is, where do we go from here? Uh, higher interest costs. Uh, higher raw material costs, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and we're heading into a period where demand is, is going to cool off. So, you know, we look at the year-over-year numbers, uh, and even if you look at, say, year-over-year GDP, it's like 4 to 5%. It gives you this false sense of uh, security because, mm-hmm. um, you know, we still have those the lagged Im- impact of the stimulus still in these numbers. So, we know sequentially the Atlanta Fed is down to what, Stephanie, 0.9. Yeah. We're almost, we're at stall speed mm-hmm. on the economy on a sequential basis. And that's what's interesting is that economists look at GDP on a quarter on quarter basis at an annual rate. And everybody looks at corporate earnings on a year over year basis. <laughs> so on the demand side, on the demand side, the earnings uh, on a 12 month trailing basis, four quarter trailing basis, they haven't played catch up yet to the dramatic yeah. cooling that we're seeing sequentially. Uh, and on top of that, so I, I think it'd be perfectly normal in a recession, corporate profits go down in a recession. There's never been a recession where that didn't happen. Uh, and we know what's going to happen because um, there's just lags. You know, everything is 
ultimately within the national accounts, everything is, is correlated. And, uh, you know, we saw that, you know, in the last cycle where people thought that, you know, during the great financial crisis, I mean, people thought, oh, well, capital spending will hang on, we'll get business investment and commercial construction uh, and exports will be great because we have global decoupling. And so housing will stay contained. Do you remember housing will stay contained, but you see in the economy is all these arteries all over the place and everything's interconnected. So nothing is, nothing is contained there, there. Everything has a correlation with each other sector by sector in the economy, some correlations bigger than others. Well, we're already in a recession, by the way, when it comes to real disposable income. Uh, yeah. So here we have corporate profits, of course, is what we price the stock market off of, but say profits are, yeah, call it 10 to 15% of national income, um, you know, 80% of national income uh, is, uh, is uh, personal income. And after-tax personal income, which ultimately drives consumer spending, which is the root of all demand in the economy. Well, we've just had seven months in a row of negative sequential readings on real disposable income. Yeah. Uh, and the decline is 5% at an annual rate. I mean, we're, we're almost, the decline in personal incomes, and this doesn't get enough play. Uh, and this is just telling you that no matter how strong the labor market is, and no matter what you think about the return of labor power uh, and unionization and certification and the churning in the labor market and wage gains, um, they're not keeping up with this cost, with, with this uh, exogenous shock inflation that we've been seeing. Uh, and recessions are not nominal variables. They are real physical input variables. You know, nominal GDP in the 1970s, we had three recessions between 1970 and 1980. Uh, and, uh, Nominal GDP doesn't go down, real GDP, mm -hmm. uh, real economic variables. Well, real personal disposable income is negative seven months in a row. Uh, the only time in the past that this has happened was actually in the worst recession of uh, the post-World War II era, which was 73 to 75. Uh, and so I would posit that um, the, there's a lag between what's happening on personal income and the impact that's going to have on consumer demand. And then we're going to be finding in the next couple of quarters that corporate profits right. are going to be shrinking. And as the Fed raises rates and tightens liquidity, the profit decline is going to bump against a compression in the PE multiple. Yeah. Uh, and the, the cycle won't end with the PE multiple above the historical norm, called historical norm 15 or 16 on forward. And right now we're still something close to 20. Mm -hmm. And that's how you can probably dial this market, uh, the S&P, all the way down to, you know, where we were at the lows, um, you know, before they rode the cavalry to the rescue in March of 2020. And I think that's probably what we're going to end up seeing. Yeah. Um, well, the amazing thing is that aside from it not being reflected in strategist forecasts yet, I mean, I think the, the consensus estimate for full year 2022 earnings is, is now 10%. So it, it's actually still double digits. First quarter might be weaker, um, but there was a mind-blowing analysis. I don't know if you saw it by FactSet last week, where they did a separate survey um, of you know what the strategists saw in terms of gains or losses for the S and P for over the next twelve months, and I think they were forecasting a seventeen percent gain in the S and P over the next twelve months. And that was going to be paced by, are you ready for this, Dave? Consumer discretionary, which is going to be up 28% over the next 12 months. So what you and I are talking about here 
it's not even it's not in the universe of what uh wall street is thinking which is what blows my mind i mean to me it seems so obvious that you know you're gonna have demand destruction and you've got negative real disposable income as you talk about so where's the where's the wherewithal to absorb higher input costs that businesses are trying to pass along um but it's just no one's no one's wrapped their head around that yet which is mind-boggling i mean do you my estimate for the S&P is far lower than yours. Are you, um, are you just going to, are you trying to uh, not be viewed as a complete lunatic like me, or do you think there's no risk of uh, a return to sort of a 2008 style meltdown? Do you think that that's too draconian for, for where we could possibly go from here? Well, you know, it's, it's situational. So, uh, I mean, nobody can ever, you know, I, I always say, you know, leave the bottom picking to the uh, proctologists. Uh, <laughs> this interview with David and Stephanie will continue over in part two, which will be released on this channel as soon as we're done editing it. To be notified when it comes out, subscribe to this channel if you haven't already by clicking on the subscribe button below as well as the little bell icon right next to it. And be sure to hit the like button too while you're down there. Last, if the darkening market outlook David and Stephanie have detailed in this interview has you feeling a little vulnerable about the prospects for your portfolio, then consider scheduling a free, no strings attached portfolio review by a financial advisor who can help manage your portfolio, keeping in mind the trends and risks David and Stephanie have mentioned here. Just go to Wealthion.com and we'll help set one up for you. Okay. I'll see you next in part two of our video interview with David Rosenberg and Stephanie Pomboy.